Chapter Eight of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. The sun had declined about two hours and a half from the meridian, but the day was still warm and bright. The month of May, in the olden time, indeed, was a warmer friend than at present, if we may believe the ancient tales and chronicles, and in good sooth the seasons of the year seemed to have changed altogether and the weather to have become chilly, whimsical, and crotchety, as the world has grown older. There are no vineyards to be found now in Northumberland, and yet many a place in the northern counties retains the name to the present day, evidently showing to what purposes they were formerly applied. It is rarely now in England, too, that we have any title to call it the merry, merry month of May, for, very often, cold and piercing are the winds, sad the sleet and rain and for one of the bright and glorious days of summer we have a multitude of the dark and shadowy ones of winter perhaps one cause of this change may be that which has brought about many another evil in the land namely the cutting down of those most magnificent old forests which sheltered the breast of england like a garment and stopped the fierce winds in their career over the island Indeed, we know that the destruction of the woods in other countries has produced such effects, and there is every reason to believe that here also the climate has greatly suffered, though other benefits may have been obtained. However that may be, the month of May at that time in England was indeed a merry month, replete with sunshine, bountiful in flowers, with every bird in song, and every tree in leaf and the whole world full of the warmth and the tenderness of youth. It is true, indeed, that in the early part of the month, April would still look in with a tear in her eye to bid the earth good-bye, and such had been the case on the morning of the 4th of May, in the year of which we have lately been speaking. About nine o'clock, two or three showers had swept past, though a blue eye of heaven had seldom been altogether withdrawn but looked through the rain as through a veil, and every now and then the sun peeped out, even while the drops were coming down, and flung a rainbow over the bosom of the forest. The clouds, however, cleared off entirely before noon, and left the world but the fresher for the sprinkling, the woods looking more green, and the flowers more bright and full of perfume. The road from Sheffield, not the high road running through Bloodsworth and leaving Nursted a little to the right, at the distance of about a mile past the former place, entered the extensive woody ground, which had ceased for a space in the neighbourhood of Mansfield, but which at that time covered the whole of the rest of the country. A little farther on again, the scene changed to one of those small open greens common in the forest, where two or three acres of grassy turf appeared free from trees, but surrounded on all sides by the wood. Fine old oaks and beeches, stood forward here and there, stretching out their long and rugged arms, covered with the soft hue of spring, and leaving the line of the little savannah wild and irregular, while a break amongst the trees on the right showed the sunshine streaming into another opening of the same kind, and gave the imagination room to sport through other groves and dells beyond. In the midst of this green, with his arms crossed upon his chest, his eyes bent on the ground, and his brow somewhat gloomy, walked Robert of the Lees by Ely, as he had called himself, 
while not far off under the shadow of a wide-spreading oak stood a boy holding a white horse and a bow robin seemed to be whiling away a time of waiting in communing with himself on many things with that sort of desultory meditation which woodlands gender more than any other scenes and ever and anon his lips proved faithless guardian to his thoughts muttering a word or two of what was passing in his mind without his knowing that they did so ha left nottingham so soon with her paramour he said that was hasty and again he was silent for a space they must have heard that i had taken the chase in hand or else the earl has followed them closer than they expected how this poor youth suffers one would think that he had lost the most precious thing on earth instead of a lighter love mayday flirt and after all perhaps he has lost the most precious thing on earth for he has lost trust confidence that can never come again when once it is gone besides a woman is to us what we esteem her more than what she is he held her to be all that is good and so in losing her he loses all that is good they are idle things these women and yet there is good as well as bad in them so goes the old song to whom does woman's love belong and who shall hold that fickle thing no iron chain was e'er so long as long to bind its fluttering wing caught by the ear caught by the eye the handsome face the flattering tongue the pleasant smile the well-told lie may win it but not hold it long the king has no command or love, the peasant's sweetheart jilts the swain, and those who stay and these who rove seek bands for woman's heart in vain. Rank, wealth, prosperity and power have all been tried without avail, yet ne'er in dark misfortune's hour has woman's love been known to fail. So sung, or rather hummed, the bold forester as he walked to and fro along the sandy path, and as is very often the case the song seemed the most convincing argument he could use for it concluded the discussion with himself concerning young harland and he turned his thoughts to other things again they will take him by surprise he muttered to himself in the same low tone as before and then having uttered this vaticination he relapsed into silence took another turn and said the king at cambridge that cannot be for nothing he has misled de montford gloucester fortifying his castles too that looks ill he is not to be trusted gloucester he never was he never will be hark a horse's feet here come the earls another moment however showed him that he was mistaken for the horse whose tramp he had heard came from the side of nottingham and not from that of yorkshire the animal itself was a good brown gilding with a short tail which in those days was a rarity for many of the barbarous customs of the present time were then unknown indeed though it may seem a contradiction in terms civilization in general has not a little barbarism in it and luxury is always sure to introduce practices of which savages would be ashamed the horse however as i have said was a good brown gelding with a short tail the man that bestrode it a jolly large-stomached personage in the garb of a tradesman and the moment the forester saw him he exclaimed ha our good friend the sutler of southwell what makes you ride the forest barnaby you do not trouble sherwood for nothing 
"'Seeking you, Robin, seeking you,' replied the sutler. "'One that you know of gave me this for you. "'It was to pass through no hands but mine and yours. "'But look ye, here comes a goodly chain. "'Now will there be rough work anon between the silken hoods "'and the men in Lincoln Green. "'I'll away, Robin, I'll away, "'for I love no blows but those of the rolling-pin.' "'The man to whom he spoke took no notice "'either of his words or his departure.' so intent was he upon the contents of the letter which had just been put into his hand. He read it over twice after the messenger was gone, and seemed scarcely to remark the approach of a large party on horseback, comprising, as the reader may have divined by this time, the very personages for whom he was waiting. When he raised his eyes, however, he beheld advancing towards him, at a slow pace, some twenty mounted men, well-armed, and headed by the old Earl of Mothama. That nobleman, however, was unaccompanied by one of those whom our friend in the Lincoln Green was the most anxious to see, the Earl of Ashby being, as the reader is well aware, on the other side of Nottingham. The party of old Mothama, as he was called, consisted of himself and his servants alone, having sent away all the other noblemen and gentlemen who had met him in Yorkshire to find their way in separate bodies to join their friends in London. His nephew, too, for reasons that the old lord saw and well approved, had gone on with the Earl of Ashby, and the only addition to his train since we last saw him was a stout old priest, his chaplain, who had been previously dispatched on a mission to Northumberland. At a distance of about twenty yards from the spot where the bold forester stood, the Earl pulled up his horse and dismounted slowly, giving the word to halt. He then advanced directly towards him, holding out his hand, which the other took with an air of respect and deference, but without the least approach to fawning. "'Welcome to Sherwood, my good lord,' said Robert of the Lees. "'But why come you alone? Would not the noble Earl of Ashby trust himself amidst these shades?' "'He had left me, Robin,' replied the Earl, "'before I got your message, with his son, Alured, and my nephew, Hugh.' "'He set out for Nottingham yesterday, just after morning song.' "'Ha!' exclaimed the forester, his brow growing dark. "'Tis strange I had not heard of it. "'Gone to Nottingham, just after morning song. "'He might have been there by noon, and yet he was not.' "'No, no,' answered the earl. "'He would not arrive by noon. "'He had matters of some moment to see to, by the way. "'But were you so anxious to have some speech with him?' "'I was.' "'answered the forest abruptly. "'I was, but it matters not. "'I will send him a message. "'And now, my lord, will you mount your horse again and come with me? "'I have much to say to you, and many things to tell, "'some of which you know, perhaps, already, "'but some of which you have never heard.' "'I can but stay an hour,' replied the earl, "'for I must forward to Nottingham to supper, "'and that will be a late one even now.' "'We have supper ready for you, my good lord,' answered the forester, "'and you at least need not fear to ride through Sherwood in the eventide.' "'No feasting on the king's venison, Robin,' cried the earl with a laugh, "'but still our meal must be short, "'for I have business to do to-night of more importance than my supper. "'Shall I bid the men come on with me, or to stay here till I return?' "'Let them follow, let them follow,' said the forester, "'but keep them out of earshot, the priest especially.' "'Ho, oh boy, bring up my horse.' More at a sign by which he accompanied the call than at the words themselves, 
The boy, whom we have mentioned as holding a white horse under one of the trees, ran up with the animal in hand, while the earl gave directions to his men to follow him slowly, keeping at the distance of some fifty yards. He then remounted with his forest friend, who led him on still upon the open road, saying, "'You shall have as little of the woodland as possible, and every step you take is so much on your way to Nottingham.' "'That is well,' replied the earl. "'But now tell me, Robin, how many of your old friends have you gathered round you here, in case of need?' "'Not more than a hundred, answered his companion, with some forty in Barnsdale. "'Sadly few,' said the earl, musing. "'Many a stout soldier and many a true friend,' replied the forester, "'love not to live the life and share the perils of an outlaw.' "'There is a reproach in that,' said the earl. "'But I pledge you my knightly word, Robin, "'that I did my best to have the outlawry reversed "'whenever we got the power into our own hands. "'But it was Gloucester opposed it, "'and the Earl of Leicester judged it dangerous to thwart him.' "'You mistake, my lord,' rejoined the forester, "'and would have done me but little service had you succeeded, "'though I thank you for the wish.' The enmity of my lord of Gloucester stood me in good stead. These are riddles, my good lord, but they are easily read. Hark to another, not much more difficult. My hundred men are not few, but many, for each man, besides a sheaf of arrows, has a sheaf of friends, and about the same number of each. We shall not count much less than two thousand, noble sir, in the day of need, and that day is coming faster than you imagine. "'There are clouds in the sky, certainly,' replied the earl. "'They overshadow the sun,' rejoined the outlaw abruptly. "'The news I had to tell you but an hour ago "'was merely that the king had contrived to lead my lord of Leicester "'away from his resources, "'and that Gloucester is fortifying himself in the marches of Wales, "'that he has refused to be present at the tournament of Northampton, "'and that people flock to him who are known to be favourers of the foreigners.' "'I have heard something of this,' said the earl, "'but knew not that it had gone so far.' "'Father, father, my lord,' replied the other, "'father a great deal. "'I have more tidings for you now. "'Gloucester is proclaimed a traitor. "'Lester has fallen back upon the seven, "'and I fear me that means have been taken "'to amuse the good earl's son in that business of Pevensey. "'Look at that letter, my lord.' Aye, this bears the likeness of war indeed, replied the earl, after reading a paper which his companion gave to him. This bears the likeness of war indeed, and I am glad it has come to this. Gloucester is a loss to the good cause, it is true, though he is cold and cautious. And selfish and treacherous and cunning, added the outlaw. But still there is little to fear, continued the earl. He is no more competent to cope with Simon de Montfort than an usher's white rod with a soldier's battle-axe. "'He wants the energy of a strong will,' said the outlaw, "'and therefore he can never be a great man. "'But still his influence makes him dangerous, my lord, "'and you must look to it.' "'We will not despise him,' replied the earl, "'but still I fear him not. "'So long as the prince is in the hands of de Montfort, "'the freedom of England is secure. "'He is the power of the royal party.' but we have taken care that he shall have no means of acting, nominally free, but watched day and night, his servants, his keepers, his companions, his jailers. I could grieve for the noble prince, I must confess, were it not that the safety of the whole realm, the freedom of every man within it, 
and the happiness of every English hearth demand that he should be prevented by any means from giving strength to his father's weakness by his own powerful mind. I grieve for him too, replied the outlaw. I once at York saw an eagle in a cage, my lord, and though it looked at me fiercely, as if it would have torn me for my pains, I broke the bars and let the noble bird go free. We must not do that here, replied the earl. I fear not, answered his companion. Nevertheless, I grieve for the prince with all my heart, and would he but swear and keep his oath, which princes seldom do, I would be the first to give him his liberty upon a promise to respect ours. We have tried that, good Robin, replied the earl, and we must do so no more. The wisest man that ever lived said, Put not your faith in princes, and this young leopard must, I fear, be kept in a chain, however sad it be to fetter noble energies like his. Make the chain strong enough, then, my lord, said the outlaw, for if he breaks it, he will be more fierce than ever. Forged by Simon de Montford, it will be strong enough, answered the earl, but let us think of farther proceedings. So, Gloucester is proclaimed a traitor? Aye, and Mortimer too, replied the forester, and a number of others. Many of the lord's marchers have joined them, you see, and his power is daily increasing. Then it is time, said the earl, for the friends of England to gather around de Montford. A battle cannot be far distant. Doubtless there will be letters for me at Nottingham, and I will soon let you know where you can meet us with your brave archers. Gloucester's day is over, and— I know what you would add, my lord, replied the forester, but I say no. This outlawry sits more easily on my shoulders than you can think. Heaven forbid that you should ever have to try our life, but were such the case, you would soon grow fond of it. There is a charm in these wild woods, and in our free existence amongst them, which leaves the parade of the city or the castle sadly tasteless in the comparison. No, my lord, I am well as I am for the present. No man can call me traitor, for kings and princes have cast off my allegiance, and I have cast off their rule. Perhaps when happier days come back, when England's wounds are healed, when justice and honour hold the sway, and peace and liberty go hand in hand, I may reclaim my rights, my lord, and ask your voice to testify that the outlaw of Sherwood was as just in his dealings, as true to his country, and as fearless in her defence as any judge in his court, or statesman in the hall, or knight in the saddle. But till then, good faith, he added in a gayer tone, I live a merry life of it here, and am troubled with no remorse for the deeds I do under the green leaf of the wood. However, enough of myself, and as for your letters, you will find none at Nottingham. The sheriff is no friend of Simon de Montford, and that the Earl of Leicester knows by this time. I would wager, my lord, a pipe of Malvoisie to a flitch of bacon, that if you go on to Nottingham, you will be a tarrier in the castle for longer than you reckon. If so, replied Mothama, the Earl of Ashby is a prisoner there by this time. Not so, my lord said the outlaw dryly. The Earl of Ashby has had other things to do. Why, I thought that but now, exclaimed the Earl, you did not know where our good friend was. True, answered his companion, but I know what waited him at Nottingham if he arrived there yesterday. Besides, my good lord, he has a friend at court. Richard de Ashby passed through Nottingham before him, was with the sheriff in close consultation for an hour, 
and doubtless set forth duly, how good a subject the Earl is to the King, and how humble a servant to the Earl of Gloucester. Take care, my lord, that you are not betrayed as well as deceived. There is a viper under your hand, and it may sting you. No, 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 said the old nobleman, shaking his head. The Ashbys are incapable of treachery. Proud and irascible they both are, father and son. But even in their pride there is no dishonour, though... The pride be the most dishonest of all our knave fashions, interrupted the outlaw. I am the meanest, too. But I believe you, my good lord. They will not betray you, either father or son, but they will betray themselves, and their roguish kinsmen will betray you and them every one. You judge, perhaps, that he came down but upon the lewd errand of carrying off a peasant girl, but his business in Barnsdale was of a darker character than that. Prisoner as the king now is, and watched as the prince now seems, they have agents over all the land. But can you be sure, said the earl, can you prove that this Richard de Ashby is one of them? Base, I have always believed him to be, and I recollect that while the feud existed between our two families, he did all in his power to keep it alive, and prevent the breach from ever being healed. Pandering, like all mean sycophants, to the fiercer passions of their lords, but I ever judged him a petty scoundrel, fit only to cheat a cross and pile, or accomplish the ruin of a milkmaid. I think not, Robin, that he has courage to deal with much greater things. Have you any proof of his treachery in this business? Something I know, my lord, replied the outlaw, and much more do I suspect. Let them take my counsel who like it. What will you have? He was first with Mortimer, and then with Gloucester, and then, making a circuit round to seem as if he came from the side of Norfolk, he visited Leicester at Northampton, and spent two days there, seeing the king thrice, and the prince as often. Thence he went back to London, was purveyed with a spy, one Richard Keane, a servant of the king's who fled from Lewis, and thus accompanied, he followed you to Pontefract. "'I will tax him with it in his kinsman's presence,' said Mothimer. "'The good lord of Ashby wants not sense and discrimination. "'He was eager for the business to be inquired into before, "'but the man's flight with the lighter-loved girl of the inn "'broke off the investigation. "'Think you his master has really any share in that bad business? "'I left the poor man, her father, nearly broken-hearted.' "'Share?' exclaimed the forester, somewhat more than a share. She is now his leman at Huntingdon. I had tidings this morning, and they are now tasting together the fiery drop of joy which floats upon the deep draughts of bitterness in the cup of vice. A few weeks will cloy him, and then her sorrows will begin. But if I lay my hands upon him, so help me, the blessed virgin, as I will nail his ears to the doorposts of good John Greeley's house, and scourge him with bowstrings from Wakefield to Pontefract. But, to speak of what is more important, my lord, do you think the rogue filched any of your secrets? No, replied the lord. No, many of the people did not come. You by God, too, was away. And, as is often the case with long-concerted meetings, to settle matters of great moment, we waited for each other, and in the end the whole thing went to empty air. I could not but think, however, that he strove hard to renew the breach between the house of Ashby and ourselves. With the father he did not succeed, but with the son he seemed to make some progress, 
so much so indeed that I was well pleased when this Sir Richard told us his purpose of going on before to London. After he was gone, Allurid grew somewhat placable, and when we parted company, Hugh went with the two lords, trying to soothe and gain the younger one. But here, Robin, what have we here? Why have you made the forest as gay as a May-day bride? End of chapter 8